VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This week on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, we have a fellow Texan and NBA legend joining the show. He was drafted into the NBA at age 19 and played 14 NBA seasons, even won a ring in 2008. You have seen him on ESPN and NBC Sports. Yeah, you saw him up there, normally with Stephen A. and Max Kellerman, talking crazy to them. Hey, he's ready to check in. But first, Darlene, let's run it. Buckets, Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Monica is a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a three in transition and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. King is a former three and D Baylor baller whose idea of a good time is locking down the other team's best scorer. Monica, King, let's do this. Welcome to Buckets, Boys and Blocks. I'm King McClure. My co-host Monica McNutt is taking some well-deserved time off because that woman has been working her tail off. She's been everywhere lately, but she, she she's on a break. So it's just me this week, but I got somebody to replace her. I got a very special <laughs> guest. One of the realists on ESPN doesn't hold his tongue. Always keeps it a buck 50. Super cool dude. My guy, Kendrick Perkins, man. How you doing today? King, what's happening? Hey, look, I, I appreciate y'all having me on. I, I haven't seen you or Monica since the slam dunk contest. That was fun. <laughs> Hey, excuse the background, man, but I'm in the hotel room right now. This is how I'm living it up. But look, I'm part of Pure Hoops. I'm, I, hey, listen, I'm loving every part of it right now. Hey, let's get it. Man, speaking of that dunk contest, that dunk contest was horrible, huh? Man, what? <laughs> but you know what? I, I give them a lot of credit because, it, you know, they put forth the effort. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. the dunk contest was was bad. It was terrible. It was terrible. The three point contest was pretty good though. Yeah, yeah, dunk contest, sure. yeah. The dunk contest, she. I mean, I just felt like they could have had me in. <laughs> and you, you probably would have won it, huh? <laughs> for sure, for sure. But let, let's jump into it. I mean, we got a lot of lots of stuff to talk about, primarily NBA stuff. But but you personally, your own personal journey, man. You came straight out of high school to go to the NBA. How was that transition? Man, you know what? It was different. Uh, and then, you know, the the culture-wise, you know, off the court, it was different from, you know, I'm a, a country boy from Beaumont, Texas, and Beaumont is, is right on the border of Louisiana. So, you know, um, me going to a whole nother, you know, going, moving to the Northeast <clears throat> was different for me, <clears throat> food-wise, personality-wise, everything about it, especially as a, a youngster that's only 18 years old, right? Change of scenery, where you, you're used to certain type of restaurants where you go, you know, every every corner is a water burger, jack-in-the-box, Taco Bell. You got all this, right? And then you get up to Boston and there's none of that. It's the mom-and-pop pizza shops. You get introduced to food like clam chowder and you have no choice but to eat it when you've been accustomed to eating gumbo. You know what I mean? But yeah. on the basketball, basketball wise, it wasn't that hard. You know why? Because, and I say this all the time, 
it depends on what organization you go to and the vets that you have on your team. And I was fortunate to go to a team that had just went to the Eastern Conference Finals that had a lot of old heads on them. So you talk about guys like Eric Williams, Walter McCarty, Tony Delp, Antoine Walker, uh, uh, Eric Williams, you know, uh, it, it was Tony Batie, and, and they were old heads. So each one of these guys were like eight years in. So when I got there, they embraced me with open arms. And it was only, you know, it was like they saw my work ethic. So, you know, they started taking me under their wing and started showing me the do's and the don'ts of the NBA. And see, that's why I think it's so crucial when you look at these young guys that are coming out now and you're like, man, why that young guy didn't turn out the way he was supposed to be or why his career wasn't long? It's because of the organization. And by the way, Danny Ainge did a great job of embracing me and taking me under his wing and showing me the do's and the don'ts. So, you know, the transition wasn't that hard. Obviously, my lifestyle changed, right? From growing up in, in Beaumont, living with my grandparents on the farm to all of a sudden, you you go to a, a pretty big city and then and then all of a sudden you, you, you live in this lavish life. You stay in these fancy hotels, you riding on privates, you know, all this stuff is in the palm of your hands and your life changed overnight as a youngster. So um, it wasn't that hard just because of the organization and the vets that I had around. Yeah. So do you ever like look back and you're like, dang, I, I, I wish I would have went to college because there's so much that I could have learned. Like, do you ever like have those? I don't want to use the word regrets because I don't like the word regrets. Do you ever have those thoughts of, you know, dang, I, I should have went to college? Man, to be honest, you know, I hear the college stories and hell no. Like, I, I, I'm glad. Was, I, hey, look, I made the right decision because you you just never know. And I was going to Memphis with John Calipari. I had signed with uh, the Memphis Tigers. You know, that's what the school I was going to go to if I, you know, wasn't projected to or, or didn't get, get a guarantee to go high in the draft. So, yeah. But I never have those regrets. I always wonder what the college life was about because you hear so many interesting stories about, man, college was this, college was that, but it's not like the NBA. I mean, you know, I know certain universities, you know, they have, you know, the better things in life for us. You know, they, they might be riding private and, you know, the living situation is different. But when you talk about the NBA, man, you talking about, you know, shoot, starting your job, really a lifelong dream. And like KG say, we did go to college. Our college was just called the University of Cash. <laughs> so I'm, I'm assuming you on you on that train that says, you know, these high school players, if they're good enough, they should be allowed to go straight to the NBA instead of having to do at least one year in college or, you know, wait till they turn 19 or enter their name. Yes, yes. I mean, look, it's, it's no different than any other thing in the world, right? Any other job. Like King, for example, I don't know like in your high school how things were, but in my high school, you had certain situations where it was like, you know, you could you could do things for us like start prepping for college or taking college courses to say if you wanted to be a, uh, you know, going to the, mechanic world like you know as a uh, as a guy that work on on vehicles and stuff like that right 
you could start early so that way, because I have a friend of mine that started like our senior year. So by the time he graduated, he was already, you know, making top dollar. He already knew what he wanted to do. So I'm like, it's no guidelines nowhere else in the world where you could start your career early. Long as you meet the criteria, right? For us, you know, you may have to have a degree. Some some areas you don't. So, you know what I mean? You could go work any other job. You could start working at the age of 16. So why stop someone from starting their livelihood early if they're ready? And if they want to go and they want to do it, who are you to tell them or who, are the, who is the world to tell them that they have to go through this situation first? Because I'm going to say this, all right? I've watched when I, throughout my 14 years of being in the NBA, I watched guys who went one year of college, two years of college, three years of college, four years of college, come into the NBA, and they still wasn't ready for NBA basketball. So my thing was, I always said this, not, nothing gets you ready for the NBA except for playing in the NBA. The entire game changes. Like, you have to hurt, you have to learn a whole nother style of play. You have to learn a whole nother style of physicality. Now they do have some rookies that come in and they're different, right? LeBron James, uh, LaMelo Ball, but just even think about LaMelo Ball. He went overseas and played in one of one of the toughest leagues there is, right? So my whole thing when it comes down to that, let these young men be great. If they're if they want to come out and they want to start their career early, who are, who are we or who am I or who are you or who are anybody in the world to tell them that they can't? So you mentioned about rookies a little bit, and that transition is not easy. However, there's been a few guys in the league this year who have been able to make the transition, but not just make it, but excel at it and stand out. I mean, when you look at rookie of the year, Anthony Edwards, LaMelo Ball, Yellow Melo's been hurt, but his team is still on the borderline of making the playoffs. Who's the rookie of the year? You know what? Look, let me say this. Before LaMelo got hurt, it was a clear-cut favorite, all right? But now Anthony Edwards is on his heels like a pair of socks, okay? And I'm telling you this right now. Last night, the man just dropped 42 points, King. The man just dropped 42 points. He's averaging around 18, 19 points a game. And look, when you look at the Minnesota Timberwolves, okay, they haven't had a full healthy roster all year long. Matter of fact, I think since, you know, since D'Angelo Russell got there, Carl Anthony Towns and him only played like a total of about eight or nine games together, maybe 10. Uh, they've been without Malik Beasley. Let me tell you how good Anthony Edwards is, though. Anthony Edwards is so good that Ryan Saunders lost his job because he didn't insert him into the starting lineup and let him go, right? Mm -hmm. When Ryan Saunders was the head coach, he had Anthony, I mean, Anthony Edwards coming in off the bench. Now I'm going to say this about LaMelo Ball. This kid is a baby Magic Johnson. And I've been saying oh. this before, before, the, before it even started. Like, you got to understand, right? He has, he has, he has the look, he has the smile, he has the personality, but he has the game. Right. Every single night he is on TV for at least he's good for three or four highlights passing wise, you know. And so when I look at it, I can't just say 
I could go with LaMelo or Anthony Edwards. I'm saying that they got to finish this damn season out. They got to finish it out. And whoever finishes, whoever finishes out the strongest, I think that's who's going to win it. But when was the last time somebody like is because I think with the rookie of the year, it could be a, a co-rookie of the year. Might mm. be both of them. Yeah. Like I could see that happening. I could see it going, I could see both of them winning co-rookie of the year. Is it just LaMelo and Anthony and then everything else is a drop-off? Or is there anybody that could potentially sneak up on them and come in a close second, third? You know what? No disrespect to uh, Halliburton from, mm. from the Kings. No disrespect to Quickly. Okay? But, look, it's it's them two, and then it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a major drop-off in between. Mm. Them two have just, you know... For what they for what they have done in their NBA season, I don't think there's no other player that's coming close to them when you talk about rookie of the year. Those two are the, you know, the guys that you talk about when you talk about rookies like that are standing out. Like and, and people are people are putting them in the same conversation with the word superstar. Mm. You got Peyton Pritchard out there. You do, you do. You have Peyton Pritchard, <laughs> P Rabbit. And you have Nee Smith. Nee Smith only been playing a couple of games, but Peyton Pritchard has been pretty consistent all year long and getting minutes. But it's still Anthony Edwards or Lamelo Ball. I think it might be co-rookie of the year. Mm. I can I, I could see that, and I, I definitely would have to agree. So on Wednesday, you was on first take, right? And I saw that, right? You was with Stephen A. You gave your five terrifying players, the scary players. I want to run through that list with you. And I want you to tell me personally why All these right. players are, are, are scary, okay? Let's start with, with KD. I already know why, but I want to know from your opinion. Because if I, correct me if I'm wrong, you played with him. Did You played with him. Mm -hmm. So what makes Kevin Durant so scary? Because you don't know how to guard him. And, mm -hmm. and, and this is a guy that, could really, if he wanted to, he could lead the league in scoring every single year. All right? But here, here it is, King. The thing that people didn't catch is that we said right now, today, right? Like right now in the present, the last couple of weeks, right now, the last couple of days, not, and because I got so much, I got so much heat about, oh man, you didn't put Braun on there. No, Braun's been out for six weeks. Oh, you didn't put James Harden on there. No, James Harden has been out. We're talking about right now. Because that that list came off of, came from Draymond Green's statement, right? Yeah. This comment about Steph Curry. I got Kevin Durant on there because he's the greatest scorer of all time. Mm. He's the most efficient, prolific scorer this game has ever seen. He has zero flaws. So when you're in the film room and you're trying to prep on how to guard him, you're like, oh, yeah, man, we're going to send a double team. That's not working, right? Because we have multiple guys. This is how you know when you're a serious problem on the offensive end. When other players on other teams start praising you, like you remember they had the classic interview with Lou Will and, and, and Patrick Beverly, and yeah. they asked the Clippers, they asked them, hey, man, what happened? And they said, Kevin Durant happened. Now, we're talking about Patrick Beverly, like, one of the best wing guard defenders in the game today, right? This is this is how he makes his living on defending people. 
Then yesterday, I see a quote from Anthony Davis, another defensive-minded guy who could switch one through five. And what he say about Kevin Durant? He's the toughest cover I ever had to guard. So with that being said, it's like, how do you stop this man? And he's every team's worst nightmare when it comes to game planning to try to stop him because he could get buckets however, whenever, whenever he wants because he's 7-1, great handles, great range, post-up. I mean, I could go through a whole list of things that would take up the whole show. So that's why he's my number one right now. Mm. So let's continue on to the list. You got my man, a light-skinned brother out there in Golden State. Yeah, with the green Absolutely out. torching people. Yeah, yeah. Steph like Curry. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. What, what, what are your thoughts on Steph Curry? Yeah, light-skinned brother with the green eyes. And you got to understand this, right? <laughs> King, this is why I say this. Because growing up, you know, we always had this thing where, you know, it was a light-skinned thing. You know, the, the females, the ladies were attracted to the light-skinned brothers. And then all of a sudden you have Maurice Chestnut. You know what I'm saying? You have Wesley Snipes to Michael Jordan. Who who made who made the dark skin brothers vogue again? You see what I'm saying? <laughs> so, but anyway, when you look at Steph Curry, when you look at Steph Curry, I mean, what he's doing right now, we're talking about a two-time MVP. All right, and where he's at right now in today's game, how can we sit up here and really say he's playing the best basketball of his career? We can, because he is, right? He's dominating. He's carrying this Golden State Warrior team. And when I think about it, you take Steph off this Golden State Warrior team that he's playing on right now, and they will be in the lottery. Remember, without him, they get beat by 50. All of a sudden, they're winning games. But he's another person that how do you game plan for him? Like, you, you try to say, oh, as soon as he cross half court, or a little bit past half court, we go trap him. Well, you're too late because he could pull up from half court. Mm. Or you could say, we're going to trap him uh, when he, when he so, like, right at the half court line, we're going to send a trap at him. Well, what'd he do? He just don't bring the ball up because he's so great of play, of, uh, so great for his playing off the ball. So it's like he moves well with off the ball. He, he has a quick release that no one could block, get shot, and – He's an underrated finisher around the basket. So when I look at him, it's like when you game planning, it's like, what can you do? Let him get his and shut everybody else down? I mean, this is the greatest shooter of all time. That's why he's number two on my list. Mm. So you got the the seven-foot freak, yeah. the light-skinned brother out there that's shooting from half court. Yeah. So then we get mm. three, four, and five. I feel like those two are easily number one, number two. So you look at three, four, and five. And on your mm -hmm. list, you put... Jokic and Bede and Westbrook. Who are you taking as number three scariest player right now? Russell Westbrook. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and this is why I say that. Because the way that Russell Westbrook is dominating the game, right? The Wizards are winners of their last 11 out of 14. And the two losses that they had, they lost by one point and it came down to game winning shots. There wasn't Russell Westbrook fault, right? Mm -hmm. And even in their losses, he had 42, 10, and 9, right? Like against Dallas. And then uh, the other night against Milwaukee, I think he had like maybe 30, 12, and 14 or something crazy like that. 
and he's dominating every aspect of the game. So when I think about Russell Westbrook, I kind of think about boxing because you think about his tenacity and what he brings to the game. And we think about a guy like Mike Tyson, right? The most ferocious boxer ever. No one will argue with that, right? No one will even debate about that. He was the most ferocious, terrifying boxer ever. But was he the greatest boxer of all time? No, nah, he wasn't. But he was, the, he was the scariest. So that's how I look at Russell Westbrook. He might not be the most talented, the most skilled because of his shooting ability, but he's terrifying. Like when he get between those lines, he's ferocious. It's a reason Kobe Bryant blessed him with that Mamba mentality. So when I look at what he's doing right now, on the verge of averaging a triple-double for his fourth time in his career and passing up the great and passing up the great Oscar Robinson, he has to come number uh number number three on my list. Because look, another thing. The Wizards were left for dead. People was like, you know what? Not real talk, King. Listen, <laughs> people was talking about five Scott Brooks, free Bradley Bill, all this and another, right? And here we are saying, man, the Wizards are right there. Man, they about to get in this play in, and they get in the play in, they get in the playoffs. Well, it's gonna be tough on anybody in the first round. And they showed us that against the Bucks. The Bucks had the scratch and claw their way out of that game the other night. So. That's why I have Russell Westbrook at number three. So continuing on this Russell Westbrook train, something that you've taken some heat for that you said recently. And I even kind of, when I saw it, I kind of looked at you like, what? Uh, but, then, but when I thought about it, I was like, all right, I can see where you're coming from. I, 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 can, I can respect the argument. You said that you would take Russell Westbrook's career over Allen Iverson's career. Why? I mean, because... <clears throat> We will never see another Russell Westbrook. Mm. All right. And and when you before I get into that, let me say, let me say this. When you look at their individual accolades, okay, Allen Iverson and Russell Westbrook, they're pretty much identical. When you yeah. look at their, their MVP awards, both of them won one. Both of them won two-time, uh, their two-time MVP in the All-Star game, right? Both of them are. You look at their points, AI got 24,000, Russ got around 22,000, close to 22,000. He's probably going to catch AI when his career is all said and done, you know, as long as he stay healthy, all right? So when I, when I look at it and when I think about it, it goes back to the triple doubles. Mm. Oscar Robinson set a milestone 54 years ago. We never thought in the, we never thought that we would ever see another Oscar Robinson, right? We thought we like we was like it, it's no way possible that someone will be able to average a triple double. I mean, they play in seventy two games now, but in the regular NBA season, it's eighty two games for an eighty two game season. Average a triple double, meaning right. that you got to go in night in and night out and get a triple double. That means you're dominating in points. You're scoring, you're making others around you better. So people think, oh, patting stats, getting assists, that's easy. That's not easy because a lot of his assists, if you look, are assisted to people for layups. So that means he's drawing two or three and finding people right on time on target for easy buckets. 
And then you talk about the rebounding part at the PG position, King. Yeah. Like he's going in there rebounding amongst trees. Like this, we're talking about a six-three Russell, a six-three Russell Westbrook going in there and battling with guys that are seven-one, seven-two. So it wasn't no disrespect. And this is why I think people, you know, uh, think that it sounds crazy. Because when you think of AI, the ultimate iconic culture figure, but we're not talking about his influence off the court, right? We're talking about comparing them between those lines. It's a difference. And so that's what I'm talking about. So when, when I said it, people was like, man, you tripping. Until you go do your homework and actually go pull up the stats and the resumes, and you're like, oh, I didn't know that. Hey, I had one triple double in his career. One. Russell Westbrook got 179. Dang. Dang. <laughs> That's a lot. And I, I agree with you because like, I was one of those people. Like, when you said it, I was like, hmm, KP might be tripping. But as I did, as you, you, you had the facts on there. As to why, and I was like, well, it actually makes a whole lot of sense. But I guess my, my biggest question is, like, why could AI and why why hasn't Russell Westbrook been able to get over that hump as far as winning? I, I, why, why do you think that is? Well, well, here it is, Kane, right? And I look at winning in, like, two different aspects, right? You have two different aspects of winning. One part of winning is winning throughout the regular season and getting your team to the postseason, mm-hmm. right? They both did that. Now, when you look at certain situations of why they didn't never won a championship, sometimes you just don't have the personnel. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't really think back that far on AI personnel through numbers and say, well, he put up 50 this game but go look at the rest of his people numbers, right? But I could think back on Russell Westbrook and I can remember a time in Utah where it was a game six and a must need, right? It's game six, a must need. He has Paul George on his team. Russell Westbrook goes in there and gets 46 in Salt Lake City. Now his partner in crime, who's PG, goes two for 16 from the field. You see what I'm saying? So. As the team sport, sometimes you can't help what others are bringing to the table. Just like uh, uh, a week ago, they were playing the Dallas Mavericks, and I'm watching the game, him and Luka going at it, right? The Wizards are up two with like 10 seconds to go. Luka is driving to the basket, not ahead of steam, but you know, like keeping somebody on his hip, just probing. Rui Hachimara leaves out of the strong side corner, something that you never supposed to do, yeah. right? And Luca hits Finney Smith, right? Finney Smith knocks down the three with like two seconds to go in the game. He knocks down the three, which put the Mavs up one. And then they, to make the long story short, the Wizards end up losing by one. But you go look at Russell Westbrook's stat line and his numbers, he had 42, 10, and nine. But that wasn't his fault. It was like, you know what I mean? Like, Rui did this. Bradley Beal wasn't on. So sometimes you just don't have the players. So do you think, in your opinion, do you think that 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 kind of taints somebody's greatness because they don't win a championship? See, and I hate that. And I hate that with a passion when it comes down to a team sport, 
right? Yeah. This is not a, I think, I think having, you know, winning the NBA championship should help somebody legacy, but it shouldn't define a player legacy. If that, you, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, yeah. and when I say that, not in a team sport, like this, this ain't boxing, this ain't tennis, this ain't golf, where you have to win a championship to define your legacy. And I think a lot of times we dig too, too much into that and say, oh man, he didn't win a ring, so I'm gonna put such and such in front of him. Nah, that ain't cool because he may have all the individual accolades that he need, you know what I'm saying? Or or or, or have, and, and you go hold it against him just because he didn't win a championship. Like that, that right does is crazy to me in a team sport. Mm. Now I agree. So before we get off of this subject, we can't forget about number four and number five. We got Jokic. Yeah, the big fellas. And B, the big fella is a position that you're familiar with. And I'm going to ask this question to you like this. If you had to go against one of them, which one would you not want to see on the court? Neither one of them. <laughs> Neither one of them. Look, here it is. Why? Because these are not your typical centers, man. They're labeled as centers, but they're not centers. Yeah. These guys are just 7'1", you know, 275-pound you know, point fours in my eyes. You, you know what I mean? They can handle the ball. They Euro stepping down the lane. They can shoot the trade ball. They got fadeaways over both shoulders. They got handles. They got everything you could imagine. And when you look at Jokic, who, who comes in at number four on my list, all right? Mm -hmm. The great Greg Popovich a year ago called him the modern day Larry Bird. Now, when... Oh, wow. Yo, when Pop said that, I said, Pop is crazy as hell for this, right? Like, you know, you know, and, and I love Pop. You talking about one of the greatest coaches of all time, if not the greatest coach. I think it's Phil Jackson. That's another story, right? So Pop says it. And at the time, you really don't see the, 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 he, he, you look at his numbers, you're like, okay, he's getting you 20 and 10. At the time, it was like, it was like 18 and, and 10, and he was getting like four assists when Pop said it. Now you see it, right? Because he's getting you 27 points a night, 10 and a half rebounds, and he's averaging 8.8 .8 assists a night. So you look at it and you like, oh, this is what Pop was talking about. He is the modern day Larry Bird because he's not athletic. He's not super fast. He's not fast, as all, fast, fast at all. But for some reason, every time you play Denver, it slows down or it seems like the pace of the game favors Jokic. So that goes to show me is that he's controlling the damn game. And his numbers look identical to some stuff that Larry Bird would, would do. Mm. So that's why he comes number four on my list because it's like, how can you really stop him? If you send a double team, he's throwing no looks over his shoulder. Right, he has post work. He probably have the the best touch around the basket that I've seen in a long time, as far as floaters and things to that nature. He has a tray ball. He can put the ball on the floor. He's great at getting to the free throw line. He's great at making free throws. He offensive rebounds. I'm like, okay, so how do you stop him? That's why he's terrifying. Like, damn, if we send a double team, he's too good of a passer. He's gonna pick us apart. Okay, if we play him straight up, 
he go have 40 on us. So yeah. how can you stop? Bam. MB. MB offensively and now defensively, he's the 275-pound version of Akeem Olajuwon. Mm. If you look at his footwork, if you look at everything, all his moves, you know, the way that he's able to get up and unders, the way that he his ability to get to the uh to the uh foul line, but he he has something unique to his game. I don't know, you know what? I'm not gonna say this because the king could have done a euro still if it was popular back then. But you see, you, you see him be euro and down the lane, and then you go to the other side, and he's at the top of the charts. When you talk about when you start pulling out all these analytics, right? I'm not a numbers guy when it comes to that. But when you talk about defensive uh, production, he's at the top of the charts when it comes to rankings, like protecting the basket and not getting scored on and switching out and guarding their opponent. All this stuff that I don't deal with, he's at the top of. So I'm looking at, I'm like, damn, he's playing both ends of the floor and this Philadelphia 76ers team is the top five defense in the NBA. So my thing is, is not only Joel and B over here giving you 29 and 10 a night on 50% shooting, he's doing it on the other end as well. And think about it, 50% shooting, you'll be like, oh man, he's a big man. He supposed to be about 55%. No, you have to realize that he's taking a lot of contested tools Guys are trapping him. He's fading and turning around over the double team with two hands in his face. Like, that's a pretty good percentage to say the amount of touches he gets and the attention that he gets on a night-to-night basis. Nah, that's big facts. I would not want to see neither one of them down low. I don't. (laughs) Looking at your sweatshirt, man, the team you play for, your C's. And we got to talk about them because Bruce is a huge Celtics fan. <laughs> Bruce, shout out to Bruce, man. Shout out to Bruce, man. So how would you <laughs> define the Celtics season so far? You know what? It's been it's been an emotional roller coaster. Mm. Because the Celtics, and, and look, a lot of teams have been impacted for us with injuries and, and the COVID situation, right? But no team has been impacted uh, with the COVID situation like the Boston Celtics. Mm. Like, you know, Jason Tatum was out with, with, with COVID. He came out and said that he had COVID, and it took him still, when he got back on the court, it took him three weeks just to feel the same. Like, he was still feeling symptoms. Like, we just heard Evan Fournier just talk about it, saying it's times that he it be feeling like he got a concussion. You know what I mean? Like he said that Kimba, his health, right? So it's been the emotional roller coaster, but here it is. They still in pretty good position to control their own destiny, right? And 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 I'm going to say this. Jason Tatum over the last two or three weeks has taken a tremendous leap to superstar. Yeah. Because everyone had been putting his name in the same conversation with Luca. With with Zion and and all these other young talented players, and I call Jason Tatum out, but not in a bad way. It's just because I expected him. I expect more out of him. I'm one of his biggest fans. I was the one saying the Celtics need to sign him to a Patrick Mahomes lifetime deal, basically, because mm-hmm. he's that talented. Yeah, he could get 
his average, which he, he averaged 25 a night. He could get that in his sleep, King. Like, I want to see some historical stuff. And he did just that. I think dropping 50-fold and turn around, dropping the 60-piece, you know, just doing what he, he needs to do. And then you look at Jalen Brown, right? One of the most underappreciated guys in the game today who, who, who game has evolved, right? And it wasn't no knock on Gordon Haywood, but I couldn't wait for Gordon Haywood to move aside because if you go back and look into the bubble last year, follow my drill. Jalen Brown really was the most consistent player on the Celtics team last year in the bubble when they went to the Eastern Conference on both ends of the floor, and he was the fourth option. They wasn't even running plays for him. Like, he was behind Kemba, JT, and, and, and Gordon Hayward. So I'm looking at this Celtic team. It was a, it's, it's been an emotional roller coaster, but guess what? They right where they could control their own destiny and get maybe in the fourth slot and get into the playoffs without having to be in the play-in tournament. So do you see the Celtics potentially making it out of the East? If oh. Who would you take to go out the East, come out the East? Well, look, King, don't push it, okay? I'm, I'm a diehard Celtic fan for life, but don't push it today, all right? Don't push it. <laughs> I do not, and I respectfully say this, I do not see them coming out of the East because I'm just looking at their experience, right? Yeah. And I get it, right? You have you have Marcus Smart, you have Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Kemba, Tristan Thompson. But when you start to think about Rob Williams and although Peyton Pritchard been playing well all season, Neesmith, Grant Williams, like those guys haven't really been in the moment. And when you look at the East and you look at the bullies that are in the East, right? The Nets, obviously. And then you look at the 76ers who is low. They are loaded. Okay. They are loaded. We hear a lot about MB and, and, you know, Ben Simmons and his defense. But when you think about Tobias Harris, Seth Curry, Shake Milton, uh, uh, Tyrese Maxey. Maxey. My, thank you. Preach. Tyrese Maxey. Uh, Mat Matisse Tybos, right? A wing defender. You still got Danny Green. The White Howard. The White Howard still comes in as a backup center to MB. And you look up and he be having like 19 and 8. And you like, what? Or he be having 12 and 10. You like, how in the hell do he have a double double? They don't even play at the same time. So I'm looking at their leadership over there. And I really got Philly to come out of the East. I think the Bucks have been showing us something of late. Uh, I love the addition of Drew Holiday. I just want to. I just like Giannis is starting to shoot the uh, tray ball, but I don't. I I need to see it when it matters the most because with the Bucks, we've seen this story before, right? Where they dominated the regular season, and when it's when it gets to the the time where it matters the most in the postseason, they come up short, right? We get that, but. I got Philly. Doc Rivers has these guys being stars in their role. Mm -hmm. They rank top five defensively because they have a guy by the name of Dave Yeager, right? Dave Yeager was a guy that was the head coach at Memphis when it was, you know, when it was Zebo and Marcus All and Tony yeah. Allen. You remember they was one of the better defensive teams in the game. Yeah. And so when I look at Doc, Doc is a great offensive-minded coach. But when you add Coach Dave to the mix, 
it gives me that combination of Doc Rivers and Tom Thibodeau in 2008. So mm. I got the 76ers because they've been playing the most consistent basketball. I think I would never knock KD because, you know, KD is KD, but I just don't know what Kyrie Irving sometime. I don't know where his mind be. We all know that he's a hell of a talent, but he just drifts off, right? And then we don't know the health of James Harden. Like, people could say, yeah, man, James going to be back and this, that, and the other. But, you know, like I know, King, it, it, look, being hurt, it takes time when you get back. Yeah. Some, some, some people, it may take them five games. Some people, it take 10. Some people, it take 15. You don't have that time on your side no more. So I got Philly coming out of the East. That's my pick. Uh, for sure. It's kind of crazy how last year in the bubble, we were knocking Doc Rivers for what he did with the Clippers and blaming it on Doc Rivers like Doc Rivers just couldn't coach. But then turn around and go to Philadelphia and has their team number one in the East, <laughs> potentially could win an NBA championship. That's just crazy how you put the blame on there. But we're not going to go there right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we talked about the East. Now, who do you have coming out the West? So give me your NBA Finals preview. Hey, King, you, you really putting me on the spot today. <laughs> and, and to be honest, I'm going to keep it all the way real with you. Yeah. I thought the Clippers were the favorite because – LeBron being hurt, Anthony Davis. You know, let me say this. LeBron's a uh, uh, 100% healthy LeBron James, like we saw last year, with, along with the Anthony Davis. I got the Lakers, but mm. they're not there. So who's next in line? You would think it would be the Clippers, right? But it's something about them that throws me the hell off. And I just picked them. I said, you know what? I'm going to pick the Clippers, man, and, and, and because I'm looking at their personnel, and I said that the only thing that they were missing was a floor general, and they went and got Ray John Rondo, right? So I'm like, all right, they start winning. And then all of a sudden, they just hit this, like, this rough patch at the wrong time. Like, right now, you don't want to be losing games or struggling to win games if you're a contender team. You want to be playing some of your best basketball. And to me, it just seems off. I don't know why. I don't see, I don't see them com the camaraderie there. I don't see the the jumping up and down, the, the emotions for one another. So that bothers me. And then you got Portland, who I think got everything they need that could probably come out of the West. You have the Jazz, who got everything that they need personnel who probably could come out of the West. And you have you have the Phoenix Sun. Mm. who are deep as well. So it's like Denver Nuggets, if they had Jamal Murray, I could say, okay, cool, they could possibly come out of the West. But I think without Jamal Murray, it's going to hurt them sooner or later. But right now, to be honest, I think the West is really up for grabs, bro. Mm. Like, I got Philly. That's my pick to come out of the East, right? But out of the West, I mean, I'm leaning towards the Clippers. I would love to see Doc Rivers and T. Lou, Paul George, and Doc Rivers, that little beef and animosity, them yeah. go at it in the finals. But the Clippers, man, it, I mean, it's like every day, man, it's like, you know, it, it, it's, it's dealing with, you know, dealing with my wife. You just don't know. Like, if she mad, what she mad for? Like, the emotions, I don't know. 
Hey, <laughs> I, I, I like the comparison there. Can't can't relate because I'm not married. Yeah. Far from married, but I like the comparison right there. So I'm gonna continue to put you on the spot. Let's go. The biggest question. You kind of took a little flack on this too on Twitter. They said who's the MVP, and you didn't choose Jokic. So who is your MVP in the 2021 or 2020-2021 season? Can you know what you know what bothers me is that <laughs> when someone else give an opinion, everybody got a problem with it. Just I, and look, the crazy thing is, is this: it's not like I'm knocking Jokic. If Jokic yeah. win it, I'll be like, no, that was well deserved. Like, I would give him his credit and say, well-deserved. He is in the conversation. But when they say, oh, he just running away with it, it's not even a debate no more. And I had to put up some numbers last night. Like, Jokic had 33-12 and 12 or 11. Joel B had 34-12 and 12 too last night. Like, that, like, it's right there. But when you talk about MVP, I think about a team – and if you take this player off the team, where would this team be? Or where, would it, where was this team before this player got there? And it's CP3. Man, I tried to tell Ryan Hollins and Monica this, but they didn't want to listen. Continue. Keep, keep, keep going. <clears throat> Bro, think about this. The Phoenix Suns, okay? And I, I've repeated this several times, and I'm going to repeat this to you again, King. The Phoenix Suns hadn't been in the playoffs since 2010. We are in 2021. So that's 11 years ago, over a decade. That's the first thing. Chris Paul goes there, okay? No, second thing is, is that they say, oh, well, CP3 got Devin Booker and he's averaging this. He averaged these same type of numbers the last three years and they wasn't in the playoffs, okay? Cool, I'm not knocking D-Book. I love him. I think his future is bright. Then you look at the situation. Not only are they in the playoffs or they made the playoffs, but they could possibly end up with the best record in the NBA. Not in the in the Western Conference, in the NBA. So I look back at their organization and I said, the last time the Phoenix Suns had the best record in the league, a playoff they team won the MVP award. Mm. Steve Nash, Steve Nash, average 18 and 11. When Kobe Bryant was in, in uh, LA at the time, and there's no knock on nobody, I, I respect every player, but Kobe Bryant was in LA, Steve Nash had Amari Stoudemire, Joe Johnson, uh, Sean Marion, like he had some weapons around him. I'm not, not, I'm not downplaying his career, okay? Yeah. He, he got it, well-deserved, proud of you, Steve Nash. Kobe was averaging 35. Kobe, oh, listen, Kobe was averaging 30. He averaged 35 one of those years Steve Nash won the MVP. Uh, <laughs> he, he had Kwame Brown. He had Sasa Bullchich, right? Like, you, you, like, okay, so I'm not even about to go there with the personnel. My point is, is this with Chris, with CP3. Same organization, same position, same regular season results. Mm. So, so like, 
that's what I'm saying. So how 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 does the goalpost move when last year with Giannis it was PR? The Bucks got the best record in the NBA. This is why he won. Every every single the the only time. The last time someone won the MVP that they didn't have the best record in the NBA was Russell Westbrook because he averaged a triple-double. But what I'm saying is, is that CP3 is averaging close to 17 points a game, all right, and a right around at nine assists a game. And I just don't understand how is the goalpost moving when it comes down to CP3 and the situation with Steve Nash. And then Max, let me tell you about Max Keller. <laughs> he tries to tell me yesterday they was wrong when they voted Steve Nash that year for the MVP. And, and I said, so does that make it does so you gonna hold that against CP3? Well, they I mean, if you want to be wrong again, no, it ain't wrong. It's just what it was at the time, like and what it was, your impact on that organization and winning, bro. So CP3 in my eyes is my MVP. I wouldn't be mad if Jokic won it. I would say, man, well-deserved, especially as a former big man. But I just think CP3 deserved the MVP. I agree 110%. I made the same argument. I said, if you take CP3 off of this team and look at his impact, because last year they did not make the playoffs just off that alone. You go from a, not a playoff team to potentially the best in the West and maybe the best in the whole league. That's, there's no doubt about it, the MVP. But look, before we wrap it up, look. You, know that you ever been to First Street Baptist Church? When it get, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when it get hot and all the all people start raising the fan. Yeah, when preaching the gospel, you preaching right now. That's how it go down. <laughs> all right, for sure. Before we end the show, look, this is how we end the show. It's called Buckets, Boys, and Blocks, all right? There's three topics. There's a bucket. A bucket is something that you want more of, kind of like a bucket. You know, so you want more buckets. There's a block, something that you just want to get rid of. You don't want any part of it, okay? And there's a board, which is kind of like a rebound. Like at first, your first glance, it really doesn't have much value. But you look at the stats and you're like, oh, okay, like Russell Westbrook. Like, oh, I had 10 rebounds too? Yeah, give me more of that too. So the topic is this NBA season. I'm going to let you choose what category you want to go with. But the general topic is this NBA season. Mm. So bucket. Okay, I got that. Rebounds. Blocks is something that we want to get rid of. Um, you know what? I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with blocks. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm going to go with blocks. Let's go. So something that I would love to get rid of is the fines in the NBA for technical fouls, okay? That's what I would love to get rid of. I would love to block that and make that go away, all right? Because here's why, King. The game is played off emotions, okay? And – Referees come in the game, and to me, they should have a better understanding that guys are competing, okay? So when you're competing out there, but and this is your livelihood, nothing is going to come off as a soft, friendly uh, approach. So you, me and you can't be in the heat of the moment, going at it, talking noise. You know, it's great for the game. We're in the moment. We're showing passion. 
somebody blow a call and and they don't expect us to react like, man, come on, man, that's crazy. And yeah. you get a take for that, right? Nah, because so it, it and you get a tech and you get fined. So you call some players money, but you want them to play with passion. But then the referees want you to come up and, and, and calm down. They want you to be in the flow of the game, be in the moment. And when you have a complaint about a call they just made that was probably bad and they were probably wrong, and they want you to come and say, hey, man, what, what did I do wrong? Like, no, no, dog, we're not about to do that. So to me, I think the suspension rule on technical fouls need to be cut out, you know what I mean, and the fines. That's two things in the same category that I want to block, man, because it's it's out of control. Like, you know, if, if somebody get a tech, the only penalty a tech should do is get the person, get the other team extra free throw. That's the penalty. Not penalize somebody's pockets because they playing with passion or they act off emotion. It's nothing personal that they got with the ref. Like, and I get it. If it's a fight or something to that nature, yeah. But off emotions, you know, and, or whatever the case may be, throw away the fines. Like, you shouldn't be fining a player $1,500 for the first six texts. And after that, it goes up to 2500 to three grand. Like, come yeah. on, man. What are we doing right now? So I would like to block that all together. Hey, I heard you, Big Perk. I made the argument the other day that we need more referees who've actually played the game. Because if we had more refs that actually played the game, we would eliminate a lot of this nonsense and a lot of that stuff that we see that goes on right now. Yeah. For sure. No, that's what I'm saying, King. Like, you, like when you competed, you compete, man. You, 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 you get between those lines, man. Hey, look, it, it's a competition. You can't expect, like, I, I just don't get it, but that's what I would like to see. The fines forever go go away for technical fouls. Like, those, like you can't be fining somebody for technical fouls. Like, that's ridiculous to me. Nah, for sure, for sure. But look, Big Perk, I want to thank you for being on the show, taking the time to kick it with me and uh, join Buckets, Boys, and Blocks. Man, I appreciate you, man. Hey, 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 hey look, King, I appreciate you. appreciate you having me on. Shout out to Monica. You know what I'm saying? I know she been busy. She she probably had to do the jump today, so she couldn't come <laughs> on with Big Perk. Tell her it's cool. Tell her it's cool. I'll be back when y'all invite me again. But I appreciate it, my brother. Keep up the good work. Appreciate you having me. For sure, for sure. That was dope. Okay, you know how we end. It's time to wrap up. Thanks to our guests, Kendrick Perkins, and our great producer, Bruce Bernstein. Thanks also to our editor, Kristen Woolley. Please check out all of our Pure Hoops media shows. Mike Wise has a new show each Monday. His guest this week is Perk's teammate, Brian, or TV teammate, my bad. And I think he did play with, 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 with Perk too, with the Celtics. Um, he, too, he totally did. He totally did. Cool. I'm too young for that. Anyways, Brian Scalabrini, who is never short of opinions. Full court with Fisher and Kay has the best in college hoops. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is here on Wednesday. This week, Aaron and Otto welcomed Law Murray of The Athletic, who covers the LA Clippers beat. Monica McNutt and I have Buckets, Boyds, and Blocks on Thursday, and the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman is here every Friday. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. All right, I know 
you're probably tired of hearing this, so we'll keep it short. Go get the vaccine when you can. I'm vaccinated. Please, go get the vaccine. Protect yourself and others. And when you see a nurse, doctor, teacher, or frontline worker, thank them because they are the true heroes. And stay safe. Monica, we'll see you next week, but something that I've always wanted to do. <laughs> Until we see you again, enjoy your poops. Buckets, Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.